Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Good morning. This is the third chapter of James, beginning at the 13th verse. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But if the wisdom from above is first of all pure, it is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello, Hope Collective. It's so good to see you all today and just being able to have this time together to gather and worship and glorify God. So glad that we get to have this time together. Uh, For those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Alex Gowler. I'm one of the pastors here with the Hope Collective. And if I could do a quick update from two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I was able to speak, but did so coming off of being sick and had a sore throat with this like gritty, gravelly voice uh, to go into that. But my voice is feeling better. I feel that way about it too, actually. Like, I just like, yay, feeling better, but also the Batman filter was kind of cool. So I'm just gonna note that, we're gonna move on. But thank you for those of you that checked in, for those of you that were praying for our family, we appreciate it. And I also wanna say this morning, for those of you that when Dave made the invitation to raise a hand for prayer for healing, that is a bold step, that is a vulnerable step, and that is a courageous step. And as your church family, thank you for giving us the opportunity to pray with you and pray for you and in eager expectation, look forward to how God is going to respond. So thank you for doing that and for the courage that it took to respond. We love you guys. Yeah. So as we are uh, getting into the message this morning, here's what I would invite us to do. I want to ask us a question, really two questions, and these are going to be rhetorical questions. So you do not have to shout out an answer, but it's something that we need to have in the back of our minds as we go into today's conversation, all right? So the first question is this. Who is the wisest person? You know, you don't have to shout it out, but bring an image or a picture or thought of this person to mind. Who is the wisest person that you know? The second question, how can you tell? 
Who is the wisest person you know? When you think about this idea of wisdom, who comes to mind? What's their name? What do they look like? But then how can you tell? What is it about this person that causes you to say, yes, that's a person of wisdom? Now, for some of us in this room, the person that comes to mind when we think about the wisest person we know might be an older family member or a friend that we look up to and go to for guidance. Maybe you don't actually think of someone that you know personally, but it's someone that you still go to for guidance whose work that you respect. Maybe it's an author or a podcaster or a social media personality, someone that you go to to gain wisdom. And for some of us in this room, when we hear about wisdom and the wise people, our imagination takes us beyond the realm of the real into the great wise characters of the great fiction of our age. So when we ask, who is the wisest person you know, you may conjure up an image somewhat like this. Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings, yes. Or, if that's not your speed, for our friends from a galaxy far, far away, Master Yoda. Yeah, someone called it out before we even got there. That was great. Or, for those of us who are fans of the wizarding world, Albus Dumbledore, headmaster of Hogwarts. And with that, I think we've covered the three major branches of nerdology. So, you're welcome. I find it fascinating that for centuries, really beyond that, this idea of the wise guide has captured our imagination, not just in fiction, but in real life. If you can't pull someone to mind that you know who is this wise person that you go to for guidance, there's still this desire to find this person, to have this kind of person in your life, which is why these characters of fiction are still so compelling to us. There's this deeply ingrained sense in us as human beings that there's a way of living life that we don't fully understand on our own. That there are choices to be made and decisions that are important that if we're going to navigate them well, we need help from something outside of ourselves, this sense individually and as a society that we need wisdom. But what is wisdom really? How do we know when we found it and where do we go to get it? These are some questions that we're going to be talking about as we continue in our series in the book of James. We are in week three in this series that we're calling Wrecked, How to Avoid a Life of Ruin. And what we're doing is we're looking at seven major themes in the book of James that he gives to us, this half-brother of Jesus turned follower of Jesus and leader in the early church community, seven ways to avoid a life of ruin. And the purpose of all of this is this challenge that James gives us, this challenge for followers of Jesus from all walks of life to follow Jesus with every part of our life. And the reason for this is so that we would not waste and wreck our one and only life chasing things that do not matter or will ultimately destroy us. James writes his book so that we would be perfect and complete, whole, and well, regardless of what life throws our way and often in spite of it. Go back to chapter 1, verse 4. James is writing his work, and we're digging into this book, so that we could be perfect and complete and whole. And so these seven major themes, the first one that Dave introduced us to last week, this idea of suffering well. 
And he shared this idea that's a quote that we've heard as a staff over and over and over again, and we don't want it to be true, but it is. You are only ever always in one of three places, going into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or coming out of a storm. Storms are going to happen. We should not be surprised when suffering is a part of this life. This is actually, when we talk about knowing the promises of God, this is unfortunately one of them, is that life is going to be hard. But in his grace, God can actually use the hard things of this life to, instead of letting them break us, actually allow them to make us better. And so how do we learn to suffer well? We keep our eyes up. We remember that God is good and we stick together. And these ideas about suffering well in this perspective is the foundation for the second theme that we'll be talking about today, which is this idea of seeking wisdom. How do we avoid a life of ruin? We start by learning how to suffer well and we learn how to seek wisdom. And not just any wisdom, but the way that scripture defines wisdom, which is different than what we might think. So here's what we're going to be talking about today. First idea, God gives wisdom to those who ask, but there are two types of wisdom that we need to be aware of. God gives wisdom to those who ask, but there are two types of wisdom that we need to be aware of. And so we're going to be looking at two places in the book of James where wisdom kind of takes center stage. The first place is going to be in James 1, verses 5 to 8, where we're introduced to this idea of wisdom being ours for the asking. But then the second place we're going to be is in James 3, verses 13 to 18, about these two different kinds of wisdom that we need to be aware of. So we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, but we're going to start in James James chapter 1, verse 5, and this idea that God gives wisdom to those who ask. And so we read James chapter 1, verse 5. If you need wisdom, how many of you in this room, show of hands, would say you need wisdom? Okay, those of you who did not raise your hands and think you have all the wisdom you need, James will have some things to say to you in chapter 3. <laughs> so stay tuned. You maybe just tune out and catch up later, okay? If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking. The first point that James wants us to know is that we need wisdom. James has just gotten done talking about suffering in verses 2 to 4, and when it comes to suffering well, which is not just making it through suffering, but it's enduring through difficulty and allowing God to use the tough stuff of this life to make us perfect and complete. What makes the difference in whether or not those circumstances will break us or make us better is whether or not we can learn how to look at this world and this life from God's perspective and respond accordingly. That is the definition of biblical wisdom. Wisdom is not having a big gray beard and a proverb for every occasion, although goals. Wisdom is also not knowing how to work the system of this world in order to get what you want. Scripture has other words to describe that approach to life. Shrewd, cunning, crafty. But it's not biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is about being in such a close relationship with God that you see the world that he, the way that he sees the world. You think the way that he thinks about the world. 
You care about the things that he cares about and you do what he would do if he was living your life, which through the Holy Spirit, he actually is. James goes from talking about suffering to talking about this kind of wisdom because it's the thing that makes the difference between whether or not our trials will break us down or actually be used by God to make us stronger and whole. If we need wisdom, if that's the beginning of verse five, then the second thing that James wants us to know is that God has wisdom. We find this kind of wisdom looking at the world from God's perspective by asking God for it because it's his perspective that we need. And so we get to go right to the source because of Jesus. If we want to know how God views the world and what he would like us to do in response to what is real, we start by going to him, not anywhere else. And so we go to God for wisdom, and according to James, God is often more eager to give us wisdom than we are eager to ask for it. If we need wisdom and God has wisdom, God is eager to share. James says, ask our generous God, and he will give it to us. This word generous, it means single-minded, wholehearted, straightforward commitment to something. It is an abundance that comes in the direction of your values so that when someone asks you for this, it just happens. God is so eager and willing to answer this prayer that we often lack the excitement that he does in responding to this request. This is something that God wants for us. And when we ask in faith, which is what comes next, to ask in faith for this kind of wisdom is a prayer that God can't wait to answer, but there is a caveat. We have to be sure of what we're asking for and clear about why we're asking. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you and he will not rebuke you for asking. He won't chastise you for your record. He's not gonna make fun of you for needing some help, but he does wanna make sure that we actually know what we're asking for. And so we read verses six to eight. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed about by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from God. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do. James 1.6 has thrown a wrench in a lot of people's prayers for wisdom. Because this idea that it says that the prayer must be prayed in faith. And there's this idea that goes around that says, well, if I just believe enough, then God will answer my prayer in the way that I want him to answer it. That's part of it, but not nearly all of it. Because to pray a prayer in faith is not just our faith in God, but it is also our faithfulness towards God. And here's how this works. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Faith in God means that we trust that God is good, knows what is good for us, and will answer our prayers according to his wisdom and goodness, even if that's different than what we originally asked for. That is the faith in God that's required, but there's also a faithfulness towards God that is required. And this means that our faith Fullness towards God is such that we will not allow any other loyalties to distract us from our obedience to what God says must be done. This means faith in that we can trust God to respond, but our faithfulness towards means that God can trust us to respond. 
Oftentimes when we ask for wisdom, what we're really asking for is two things. The first, we're asking for God's blessing on what we want to do. Can we just be honest about that? When we ask for wisdom, we're really just asking for God's stamp of approval on the thing we think we should already do. But when that happens, there's no change, there's no challenge, no surrender required. We just get what we want. Vending machine God. But there's a second motive that goes into our prayers for wisdom, which is this hyper-specific GPS-level direction for our lives that is so minute and spelled out that we actually don't have to take responsibility for our actions. In the former, just asking for God's blessing on our lives, we get to maintain this carefully constructed, comfortable life that we have worked for a long time to achieve, forgetting that to follow in the way of Jesus is to apprentice under the sun of suffering. And that to follow after him means learning how to suffer well, to be shaped positively by suffering, and know that the right thing and the hard thing are often the same thing. But in the latter, there is this bone-deep terror in some of us, this fear of doing something wrong, of making a mistake, of causing God to be angry with us, that we would actually abdicate our God-given agency and invitation to partnership back to God and ask him to make us robots when he created us to be children. God, just tell, me, just tell me what to do. Just give me the programming and I'll go, just go do it. Versus, hey dad, what do we get to do today? When we ask for wisdom, there are these motives that come into play that if left unchallenged and unchecked and unchanged will lead us down a path that God never intended us to be down. But asking God for his wisdom in those moments can actually be an invitation for him to expose our idols. What are we trying to protect? What are we trying to pursue? What are we trying to achieve or avoid? What are we looking to that is not God to do what only God can do? Where are the loyalties that if left in place will actually destroy us? This divided loyalties is what James is highlighting, saying that these people that are of two minds, of two loyalties, a two-souled person, they are unstable, and tossed about like waves in the sea. If we do not ask for wisdom from a place of steady trust in God and a steady faithfulness towards God, what some have called this idea of preemptive obedience to God, which is saying yes to God before he even gives you your assignment. If we do not pray from this place of being fully committed and steady in our devotion, our divided loyalties will make us unsettled, uncertain, unstable and unlikely to follow through on even the clearest instructions that God could give because we lack both the commitment and the courage to do so. In that situation, we shouldn't expect to receive much from God because we wouldn't do much with it anyways. It's not, it's not that God is being mean. It's just that he has a way more honest assessment of the situation than we're willing to allow ourselves to understand. And he will honor 
the free will that he gave us to choose which kingdom we want to be a part of. But for those who acknowledge in humility their deep need for God's perspective on this life, their need for wisdom, and those who commit themselves beforehand to seeking and doing the will of God, trusting that he is faithful to hear our prayers and respond in the ways that he knows are best, they can know that our generous God will answer their prayer for wisdom, though not always in the way that we might expect. It was a few years ago for our family that this verse um, became something that we were praying on kind of a daily basis. It was 2016, and we were in the process of buying our first home. We are coming out of grad school, we were living with family for a little while, and we are looking to get our own place. And we started doing the whole house hunting situation, and let me tell you, there are few experiences in life that I have felt more inept trying to navigate. Like, I don't know, like, I, maybe everybody else has it figured out, but I, trying to navigate this whole home buying process, I just felt like a complete farce in the whole thing. It's like everybody else knows what's going on, and I just show up to the meeting, and I'm like, mm, greetings, fellow grown-ups. I should totally be here. And I completely understand everything you just said. Please allow me to sign 500 pieces of paper and commit to spend more money than I will ever have. Like, that's what this experience was like for me. And so we're praying this prayer daily, and we find this place in like July, and we go back and forth on this whole process till October. It was like, it was a very different market back then, by the way. But we're going back and forth on this thing. We're trying to get this house, and we're like, we're praying for wisdom. God, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us wisdom? We finally close in like the first of October, and we're driving home to our new place. And Renee and I look at each other, and it kind of hits us at the same time. You know what? We, God answered our prayers. We've been praying for wisdom like every single day, but it's not like he downloaded a complete knowledge of the real estate market and home buying process to us. He surrounded us with wise people. Realtors, friends, parents who understood and could help us navigate this process, God answered that prayer for wisdom. And maybe our role in this whole process wasn't to have everything figured out and a complete understanding of all of this, but maybe this was more about the kind of people we were going to be in the midst of this process. And this difference between what we know and what we do based on who we are is what tees us up for what James wants us to know about wisdom next in chapter three. Because if wisdom is ours for the asking, if we can ask God for this kind of wisdom, then what we need to realize is that there is also two types of wisdom that we need to be aware of. There is a God kind of wisdom and there is a not God kind of wisdom. So James, in chapter 3, verse 13, he says this, If you are wise and understand God's ways, if you think you have a grip on this whole wisdom thing and seeing the world from God's perspective and responding accordingly, then prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. The strongest evidence, according to James, of wisdom is not what you know, but how you live. 
Wisdom makes its presence known by a lifestyle of good works done unto others in humility. It is not about what you know, but it is about what you do that is based on who you are. And James goes out through the next few verses to lay out two kinds of wisdom. A wisdom from below in verses 14 to 16, and a wisdom from above in verse 17. This wisdom from below, James introduces by saying in verse 14, if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. There's two character qualities, two states of soul that James brings to the forefront as flags for this type of wisdom from below. The first is this idea of bitter jealousy. And this is being so committed to what you think is best or what you want out of life that you are willing to do bad things to promote it, to achieve it, to protect it, or to score a point for it. This is the person who is so committed to truth in the public sphere that they are willing to slander, name call, comment, and condemn people on every social media account they own. This is the person who is so convinced that they know God's will for a situation that they will bully, bypass, and bulldoze others in order to pursue what they think is right. And as we sketch an image of this person, before you give a name to this individual or give them a face that is different than the one that you see in the mirror each morning, we need to acknowledge that all of us have been this person, are this person, or would be this person were it not for the grace of God. This bitter jealousy gives way to selfish ambition, which is driving after what you want, regardless of what it means for other people. It's being more concerned with promoting your name than honoring God's name. It's paying more attention to who's following you than whether or not you're following Jesus. Instead of telling people what's true because you care about them, this is telling people what you think because you don't care what they think. And if you want to know the difference between these two types and these two approaches, it's all in the neck movements. <laughs> I'm sort of joking, but like, have you noticed? Like, forward and back seems to be okay, but side to side is like, hold on, what's going on here? Just a Word to the wise, okay? And here's what's, here's what's so tough about this, is that these qualities, this bitter jealousy, this zealousness to pursue what we think is right, and this selfish ambition, when we bring these two things together, these are the kinds of people that are often successful in the world's eyes. They're called driven they're called determined, they're called so secure, they're called passionate, they don't back down or take no for an answer, they build companies and followings and seize enough success and scrounge enough out of this world that people are willing to overlook their deficit of character for the sake of a good performance or a strong personality. And what the world calls wisdom, God calls foolishness. And James calls such people not to cover up the truth, not to cover up what is real by boasting and lying, loudly singing the praises of their own wisdom and understanding, proclaiming their self-centered false reality to be God's truth, and in so doing, deny the very truth that would set them free. This kind of wisdom is a wisdom from below, and it is far from neutral. James goes on in verse 16, and 15 to call it earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Yeah. 
earthly, concerned only with the stuff and the things of this world, its values and its metrics, with no regard to what God says is actually truly important. It's unspiritual. It's fleshly, completely devoid of the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives, and ultimately it is demonic. Instead of humbly embodying God's character in joy and generosity, it embodies the character of the one whose bitter jealousy and selfish ambition schemed against humanity in the garden all of those years ago. And every time we live according to this wisdom from below, we are just watering the seeds that the devil planted in our hearts back in Genesis 3. You could be like God. And so what's the result? Verse 16, disorder in the church and evil of every kind. What else could we expect from a group of people so driven by jealousy and ambition instead of joy and generosity? People whose list of things that they want grows larger and larger while the list of things that they wouldn't do to get it grows smaller and smaller. According to James, when we live by this wisdom from below, relentlessly pursuing what we want, regardless of what God desires or how it impacts others, we prove that we haven't actually put our faith in God alone. Back to chapter one, verse six. We don't trust God to give us direction. We don't trust that he's good. We don't trust him to shape us in our suffering. We trust us. And this kind of living is not neutral. It is not one good choice among many. This kind of living proves that our character has been shaped more by the one that C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters calls our father below than our father in heaven. And if this is this picture of false wisdom, of earthly wisdom, of counterfeit wisdom, then what does real wisdom look like? How do you know when you've found this way forward that is in line with God's wisdom and perspective in the world? James goes on in verse 17 to give us seven characteristics of this wisdom from above that begins with being pure. Both in morals and in motives, it embodies and expresses the character of God. It's not just pure, but it's peace-loving. Meaning it doesn't start conflict just to start conflict, but it also doesn't avoid conflict just because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. This kind of peace loving is to love God's shalom. Yeah. This Hebrew concept of wholeness and rightness and the world as God always intended it to be, to want that shalom and to be willing to work for that shalom. We'll get back to that in a little bit. It's pure, it's peace loving, it's gentle. Not harsh or overbearing, but a deep spiritual strength that is tempered by love. It is willing to yield to others, humble, teachable, and open to conversation because it knows that however wise others may think we are, there's so much that we still don't understand. It is full of mercy and good deeds. These two ideas going hand in hand, meaning that we don't give people the scorn and the ill treatment the world says they deserve, but... We treat everyone with the kindness of the one who causes the sun to rise and the life-giving rain to fall on both the righteous and the unrighteous, according to Matthew 5, verse 45. It shows no favoritism, not privileging one group or individual over another, but committing to living into the reality of what God says is good for everyone. 
and it is always sincere, meaning it doesn't lie to itself, it doesn't lie to others, posing and posturing to achieve an end other than God's desire for every single situation. These seven marks of this wisdom from above, this heavenly wisdom, echoes the Beatitudes of Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It echoes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest. The wisdom that God guides us into is informed by the character that God is working within us. And what is the result of this kind of wisdom? Rather than disorder and evil of every kind, verse 18 James says that those who are peacemakers, these cultivators of shalom, they will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The wisdom that God offers is not just wisdom for us, but it's a wisdom that does good to everyone around us, to the whole world around us, because we sow these seeds of shalom in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The goal of God's wisdom is not to avoid suffering in this life. We will avoid suffering for our own poor choices. Thank you, Jesus. But all suffering cannot be avoided. What God offers us is an opportunity to engage with that suffering in a way that actually makes us better. Wisdom is not about avoiding suffering in this world, and it's not about being successful according to the world's standards. The goal of wisdom is to be an agent of shalom, of reconciliation in a world gone wrong. Again, shalom is God's good design for the world as he created it. It's us as humans engaging with him, with ourselves, with those around us, with the world that God created in the way God always meant it to be. In short, it is the world as God intended it. And this kind of shalom, this peace, it is something that has to be sown, not seized. It is something that has to be planted, tended to, cared for and worked out so that it can yield a harvest of righteousness, a word that scripture uses to describe a person whose entire thoughts, behaviors, and entire life has been brought into conform with the character and instruction of God himself. In short, we prove God's wisdom in our lives by living rightly before him as we follow after Jesus, the one who is called the wisdom of God the one who embodied everything that God cared about, who always responded to life the way that God intended, which was never easy, but always good. And it's in this space of God's wisdom that is ours for the asking, but can often be counterfeited by what the world has to offer that we say the wisdom that God says we need begins with a humble heart and results in an honorable life. James 1 is about the humility we bring to our prayer for wisdom and our search for wisdom before God. The wisdom God says we need begins with a humble heart, but it results in an honorable life. Wisdom is not about intellect. It's about character. It is not about what you know, it is about what you do, which is an expression of who you are. Wisdom is not about having a proverb for every occasion or staying above the rabble and the difficulty of this world. It is about the hard-won habit of holiness. 
loving in all circumstances, persevering through difficulty, doing what's right even when it's hard, building bridges instead of burning them, and living your life as an agent of reconciliation to see God's goodness be true in the world. And this kind of wisdom is ours for the seeking if we're willing to seek it and say yes to God's instruction before we find it. So how do we seek wisdom? Four things before we dismiss for today. When it comes to seeking the kind of wisdom God says is available to us, we pray for it, we look into it, we think about it, and we ask around for it. The search for wisdom starts where Proverbs 1 says it starts with the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. So we go to God first. It's God's perspective we need, so we start our search for wisdom by asking for it. And when we ask, we don't ask so that we can get what we want or avoid making a mistake. We ask so that we can please God and have the opportunity to express his character into the world, whatever that might be. And when we ask, we commit to doing what God says even before he says it. Caveat, whatever you believe God is saying better be in line with scripture and should probably be brought to your community before you act on it. Because there is wisdom in many counselors, Proverbs 15, 22. And we test the spirits, but we commit beforehand this preemptive obedience to God. We pray for wisdom, and then we look into it. We open God's word. We search the scriptures for what God says about relationships, about money, about marriage, about work. Whatever it is that we need wisdom about, God has something to say about it in his word. So we go to his word. We pray for it. We look into it. And then we take time to think about it. If you read God's word and you don't automatically understand it right away, that's great. Because that means that God is trying to teach you something that you don't already know, which is what you just prayed for. You prayed for wisdom and said, God, show me what I'm not seeing. And he's trying to tell you what you're, he's already answered your prayer. <laughs> Psalm 1-2 says that blessed are those who delight in God's instruction and meditate on it day and night. Wisdom does not just come from reading God's word, but it comes from reading and reflecting on God's word and interacting with the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day -day lives, responding to what he wants to do in the midst of life's challenges and difficulties, but we don't do this alone. We pray for wisdom, we look into it, we think about it, and we ask around for it. Wisdom, according to scripture, is contagious. You get it? by spending time with people who have it. That's right, that's right. And so you get with people and talk about what you're reading, what you're thinking about. You ask for other people's perspectives, not just anybody, but people that you trust. Have a relationship with God or pursuing God's will and are on the path towards that biblical wisdom as well. And here's the thing, ask around, and we have to say this, ask around does not mean Googling. <laughs> It doesn't mean Googling, it doesn't mean doom scrolling, it doesn't mean posting an ISO on social media. Here's the thing, those, those, are, those are cheap ways of getting cheap advice. And cheap advice is often bad advice. But wisdom for how to live this life is forged in the fire of real experience with God. And if you don't have that, you don't have wisdom. You just have a recommendation. And that's great if all you're looking for is a decent Chinese restaurant, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but to get wisdom, 
If you want to learn how to live life well according to God, you need to talk to somebody who's actually doing it. Too often we shy away from asking for this kind of wisdom from the people who have it to offer because we're afraid of what they're going to think about us. Because when we ask for wisdom, it's essentially confessing that we don't know, what, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what to do. We're uncertain. We don't understand. We need help. And that's why searching online feels so much easier. It's less exposing, it's less vulnerable, and it's less costly. But the kind of wisdom that God has to offer is something that's found in relationship with him and with others. And if God's character is such that he is eager to give us wisdom and doesn't chastise us or think less of us for asking, even when our track record would give him plenty of opportunity to do so, if that's the kind of character of our God, then wouldn't it make sense that the people who have been pursuing his wisdom will share that same kind of character? And the very people that we are invited to go to for wisdom will be the very people who are honored and eager to help in any way that they can because they reflect the character of God himself. So when it comes to wisdom, we need it, God has it, and he's eager to share if we're eager to listen. So we pray for it. We look into it. We think about it. And we ask around for it. And in so doing, we seek the wisdom that helps us to avoid a life of ruin. I invite you to stand with me as we dismiss for today. Here's what I'd like to do. We began our service today in a posture of offering ourselves to God. And as we close out, I'd invite you to take that same posture with arms outstretched and a posture of receiving. Because what we're going to do, if wisdom, the search for wisdom begins by praying for it, then let's pray for it right now. And we're going to pray the words of scripture over us, a prayer for wisdom from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And pray these verses of scripture as a benediction over the Hope Collective as we head into whatever life has in store for us next. So I invite you to take this posture with your hands before you as if you're receiving something because this benediction is a blessing that you get to leave here with today. Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. May God give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. May you live in a way that always honors and pleases the Lord. And may your lives produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, may you grow as you learn to know God better and better. May you be strengthened with all of his glorious power so that you will have the endurance and the patience that you need. And may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. 
Hope Collective, wisdom is ours for the asking. So let's look for it. We love you. You are dismissed. Have a great week. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.